Welcome to Huntersville Lutheran Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for worship every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at huntersvillelc.com. Thank you for joining us today. Gracious good morning to all of you. Uh, so a couple of things by way of introduction. Doug gave me options. He said you can preach on whatever you want to preach on. Now, that's a dangerous thing to do, but he said you're confined to one of these three or four lessons here. And I picked the epistle lesson. And because I'm not with you every week, you know, when, when I was in a parish for 20-some years, people eventually could almost repeat this little lecture that I'm about to give you, <clears throat> the difference between Old Testament, the Gospels, and the Epistles. The Old Testament is language that is portraying the promised Savior of Genesis 3 will come, and then you got a lot of historical stuff, mostly simple language, and yet heavy language, too. I don't think this side of heaven I'm ever going to understand portions of Ezekiel and Zechariah. That's dangerous stuff, man. I will not teach it in a Bible class because I'm not sure what exactly is being said there. But for the most part, Old Testament, pretty simple language, straightforward. Gospels, believe it or not, Jesus was pretty simple in his language, in choice of language. When we're in the college and they're teaching us Greek, the first <clears throat> Greek that they let us handle, then they're pretty sure we won't mess up, is the Gospel of John. Heavy concepts, but simple language. And then you got the epistles. Uh, it's like Jesus was Jack Nicholson and his disciples were Tom Cruise, and he said, you can't handle this, you know. You remember that old movie, you can't handle the heavy stuff. I'm going to wait till the Spirit comes and puts his Spirit into you, and then you guys can handle the truth, and you're going to put it in profound, sometimes difficult, challenging language. And so the harder part of the New Testament is not the Gospels, Jesus' words. It, it is the epistles. And boy, we're going to one of the hard sections of the Bible. First eight chapters of Romans, pretty straightforward. No mincing words there. You get into chapter 9, 10, and 11 and everything that comes after. That's some heavy stuff, man. That bogs down. And we're looking at some of that today. That, that's kind of challenging. So page 7, we're going to go through Romans 15. Picked out three <clears throat> nouns and, and verbs in there. We're going to build this around. And unpack, it, hopefully in somewhat simple and yet challenging language, what exactly St. Paul's talking about there. Now, I won't reread it for you, but we'll go back to it and look at some of the specific verses from time to time. Um, th this much by way of introduction. How many of you got one of these? You got a Fitbit? How many? All right, yeah. Be careful. My kids gave it to me as a gift last Christmas. I don't know what the message was. I, I'm not in perfect shape, but I'm in reasonably good health for a 63-year-old man. But basically they were saying, you travel a lot, you sit in airplanes, you sit in hotels, and then you sit at home and watch meaningless TV and read books and get off your butt is basically what they're saying. And this is like one of the little household gods of the Old Testament, if, if you have one of these. And I don't know if all Fitbits are this way, but this one will buzz you or send messages that basically say, get off your butt and, and do something. If And so I adhere to it. I become kind of dogmatic about trying to get in 10 to 12,000 steps a day. And for me, that falls somewhere between five and six miles of walking per day. <clears throat> so Friday, I had options. It was a nice day in Denver. We haven't had nice weather most of November, December, but we had a nice day. I got time. I'm going to walk. If I will go this way, that walking trail that takes me down by where the eagles still are in the trees, well, that ends up at Starbucks. And I'm not just going to get a coffee. I'm going to get a pastry. Not going to go there. If I go that way, don't turn right to go to Starbucks. 
there is Anne Marie's Bakery over there. It's only open Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays. But man, they got pecan rolls that you're happy to pay five fifty four. That's a lot of money, but boy, they're good. And she's open. And if I go that way, you know, I'm going to buy one of those. And I don't have time to eat. And I'm doing this for health. I'm going to take this one. That literally, it's a path that you can get on and ride your bike. And you're in suburban Denver, on the northeast side where I live. But you can conceivably take it all the way to Fort Morgan. You can find paved road or sidewalk all the way to Fort Morgan, which is 90 miles away. So you can go as far as you want to go, and that's what I did. Now, before you get out of the wide open spaces of eastern Colorado, you're in suburban territory, and this is the point of this whole long story. I pass a house, and they've got their Christmas stuff up. There are people on this nice day who are putting it up, but they must have done it in the bad weather last week or maybe already on Halloween or something. But I hadn't seen it before, and they've got manger, a couple of wise men, a sheep, a thing, a nice little barn kind of thing. Looks like the guy built it, or maybe his wife built it. I don't know. And there's baby Jesus is in the manger already, and I'm going, ooh, I don't know. It's not the 25th of December yet. He's not born, really. He ought to be empty. Um, there's baby Jesus, and on top of baby Jesus' head is a Santa Claus hat. You ever seen this kind of thing? I, I, I guess I've seen it before. But I've had a little coffee, and I'm going to sit there and ponder this heavy message here. Here's baby Jesus with a Santa Claus hat. Now, now, what what's going on there? How did he get a Santa Claus hat on? This is what happens when you've had two Starbucks. You start pondering these heavy thoughts. Is she in the household? Is she a believer? And, and basically said, Earl, get out there and put up the, the Christmas stuff. She's the churchgoer. Maybe he's not. And he's just going to take his little shot and say, okay, but I'm going to put a cap on baby Jesus. Or maybe they're both churchgoers, or maybe neither of them is churchgoers, and they're just trying to send a message. We can do this spiritual aspect of Christmas, and, and we can also portray Jesus as a, a cause of secular joy. We can do both things. We can have a leg in both territories, and it'll be okay. Or, or maybe it's a case of where he puts everything up out there and gets it done, and then her maternal instincts just kick in and say it was probably cold when big Jesus was born, and uh, it's certainly cold in Denver, and so little plastic baby Jesus out there needs a hat on his head because it's cold at night. So these are the thoughts that are going through my head. Now, the, the point of this is consciously or subconsciously, we all do this. We get around this time of year, and whether you're a secularist or a diehard Christian, you're going to portray Jesus in some way, shape, or form by your language and your activity. This time of year, you're going to portray Jesus. You are. We all do it, inside or outside the church. You're going to deal with the fact that Christmas is built around the concept of Jesus. And that's probably the wrong approach. That, that first we ought to begin, and Christians should perhaps share this with other people, it's not so much how I portray Jesus that counts. If I'm going to talk to either a Christian friend or a non-Christian friend, it's how Jesus portrays himself. And again, the epistles do this. The Gospels here are the words of Jesus saying who he is. The epistles unpack that in some heavy, profound ways and say, this is what he is. This is what he has done. This is what he is not. And we are asked then to applicate that to our own lives. So the portrayal of Jesus, and from these words, and I guess you've got them on page 7 there. We'll look at them there. Uh, we're going to look at, in verse 4, there's the word encouragement. 
We'll see that Jesus is a source of encouragement. You get down to verse 7, he's a source of acceptance. And then you get over in the later verses, and it's all about hope. So let's just start with this idea that uh, Jesus is a source of encouragement. You've got there in verses 4, let's start with that. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So he's talking to a New Testament generation, but those words were also written in the Old Testament era for the encouragement of people who lived in the Old Testament, weren't they? And that's the beauty of going to Sunday school and learning those Old Testament stories and going back to them as adults and saying, those are adults, those aren't children, and look at what they had to deal with. And, and just pick out some of the figures of the Old Testament. Noah. You're going to be on a ship. I'm going to save your life along with seven relatives, but you're going to have a couple hundred animals and your relatives, and you're on a ship for a year. You think that guy didn't need some encouragement? You think his family didn't need some encouragement to be around him for a year as, as a captain of the ship? So words were written for him. You jump ahead to what we sometimes call the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, Jacob was a stinker. He, he did not follow the path that God chose for him, and that his parents tried to impose on him. He was a stinker. And so he ends up with two wives, plus two other women who are the handmaidens, through whom he also has children. And they throw a daughter in there for good measure. So he ends up with 12 sons, one daughter. Uh, he ends up with his brother wanting to kill him. And he ends up in a hard place. Did he need encouragement? Uh, especially when his sons are grown up and they did some things that imitated their father's behavior? He, he certainly did. Jump ahead a few hundred years to the time of Moses. He gets to spend 40 days on a mount with God. That's pretty cool. And then God says, no, that's enough of that. You go down and lead two million of the most stubborn, insolent people I've ever put on the face of the earth. And by the way, you're going to be at this for about 40 years. Might need some encouragement. Keep going with it. David wrote the Psalms. We, we just glamorized King David in Sunday school. And then you read Samuel and Kings and Chronicles closely. David was a stinker. He was a polygamist. He has eight wives, and in his old age, they give him a young lady to keep him warm. And he's got kids, and they grow up, and the kids are just idiots, and they fight back and forth. David brought all this on himself, right? He needed encouragement. We, we say, Solomon, where, where do you get the 700 wives and 300 concubines? How do you keep track of a thousand women and all those kids? Well, he kind of learned from dad and said, I'll go one better. And where's Solomon at the end of his life when he writes Ecclesiastes? The most powerful, influential, wealthy man on the face of the earth. He looks at all in kind of despair. And he says, meaningless, meaningless. Five chapters of Ecclesiastes, that's the theme. He says it's all meaningless, except to know God and, and, and to worship him. And, and that's how Solomon's story ends. And then perhaps the one that we can most closely identify with in the Old Testament, out of all those characters that needed encouragement, would be, I think, Elijah. He's the one that ends up in a cave and says, I've had it. Feed me up. I'm the only one left. And God offers him encouragement and says, come on, you can do this. This is what the writer has in mind. Everything that was written in the past to teach us the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. We'll talk more about in hope later on. For right now, it's sufficient to say that Jesus portrays himself 
as an encourager. He's not only that, he is Savior, but he is an encourager. And what he does as Savior by a perfect life and an innocent death and resurrection and going to heaven, that offers us encouragement. And it stands in the back of the promises that he issues when, when he says to the disciples and us, I will never leave you or forsake you. Uh, he says to the disciples and us, I go to prepare a place for you. In the old King James, which some of you remember, he says, I go to prepare a mansion for you. Right? Through the Old Testament writers, he says, you'll never want for daily bread. Quit worrying about that. And he, and he says continually, I am always with you. I give you the title of brother or sister. And then maybe the one that is most frequently to be contemplated by us in Corinthians through Paul, Jesus offers this encouragement. I won't tempt you beyond what you can handle. You, you may think that you've maxed out, but Jesus says, I will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle, and I will deliver you. Where do you go with this, that Jesus is the encourager? I, I think of an apt application is for us to forget about this family as a congregation and just take our, our nuclear family and, and say that that's something that can be practiced in my home. And as I gather with relatives and friends, my, my extended family in, in the Advent Christmas season, that we offer encouragement. And it's something that we don't just do during Christmas season, but we do year-round. And so an, an older sibling can encourage a younger sibling by saying, Mom and Dad don't hate you. You've just been a brat. Knock it off. Understand who they are. They love you. And it'll be okay. And sometimes the 50-year-old older sibling still has to say that to the 40-year-old, right? Encouragement on that level. I think an adult can say to a teenager, it was, in fact, a bad day. You were treated unfairly. Stuff happens. Welcome to high school. Get ready for adult life. But it's just one day. Keep your perspective. Encouragement. And I think it even applies as you get into the third generation, and really i got four generations now, if my mom is still alive, uh, where older people can say to younger adults, stay in your marriage. Be patient with your children. It, it is turmoil. But Jesus is a source of encouragement, and I encourage you to keep your eyes on Christ. Secondly, verse 7. He is the source of acceptance. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. All right. Uh, th this is not some pseudo-psychological live and let live sort of secular approach to life. Uh, St. Paul is not saying anything goes. The other things that are written in the epistles, the words of Jesus, the Old Testament make that really clear, that there is a certain behavior that is expected from human beings when you understand that God put me on this planet. So he's not saying anything goes. He's not even saying in the spiritual realm anything goes. Because what you read earlier in the book of Romans, and then what you're going to hear in Romans 16, the chapter after this one, where he says, you learn to identify truth. And when you find something that's false, Chapter 16, you run away from it. You separate. You actively say, that is bad for my soul, and I'll have nothing to do with it. 
But for now, he's talking about acceptance within a congregation that it's agreed on doctrine. And that's what they were in Rome. They're kind of like this. A smallish group of people in the midst of a large metropolitan area who had truth. And how do we get along now from different backgrounds? And St. Paul says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Chapter 14, you accept the weak person, uh, the, the person that maybe doesn't have the strong faith that you do and isn't able to articulate it. You accept the person that disagrees with you because there's a whole lot of New Testament that's not prescribed for us, right? That this is what you must do. So accept the person who differs in the area of adiaphora. Accept the person who has different perspectives. Accept the person who is a Gentile. You might be a Jew who gets the whole Old Testament. The Gentile doesn't understand that. Be, be accepting of that person. Instead of just talking about the nuclear family, let's talk about the congregational family, because quite frankly, after 40 years of observing mission congregations, and where you guys are at the two-year mark now, this is a huge temptation for you. That it's not the smallest group that got started a couple years back and started worship service. You, you got a few more people here now. And that changes the dynamic a little bit. And how do we be accepting of one another? The temptation is going to be to say, oh, we who've been here longer, we know all that is right and true. It, it, it is it, tempting to say, inclusiveness is for the secular world. We're not inclusive here. You earn the right. You be here a couple, three years and do it our way, and then we'll allow you to have a seat at the table, and then you can speak up. Or the part, the temptation to say, you're welcome to be here, but but can you stay on the margins for a while? That's damnable insolence. It, it really is. It's establishing categories of believers that the New Testament does not find. And it's a huge temptation for new Protestant churches, such as Huntersville Lutheran is. When the Lord of the church has said, accept one another. And the person of a different socioeconomic background, the, the person of a different Protestant background, the, the person that there is very little at all by way of religious experience is to be accepted here as a 100% Christian that, that you are. I, I think you can even make this case that we who say that we understand what it means to be accepted by Christ, that it wasn't just the Father who brought us close to him through Jesus, it wasn't just the Holy Spirit who brought us close, Jesus himself, with his life and death and resurrection, brings us close to him. He accepts us, if you will. You can say, the degree to which I convey acceptance to the people around me here is the degree to which I understand completely what Jesus has done in accepting me. Right? Final aspect of that, because now it turns into a waterfall. If we understand encouragement and acceptance, then he says, well, then you got hope. And that's going to be in verse 8 through verse 11. Now, let's just look at verse 8 first of all. I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. When you look at baby Jesus in the manger this year, with or without the Christmas hat on, you know, can, can we do ourselves a favor and remember Jesus is a 
full-blown Jew. Sometimes I think we believe that the Old Testament came to an end with the birth of Jesus. It did not. The Old Testament doesn't end until Good Friday when Jesus dies and that curtain comes down in the temple. Remember that incident? doesn't really end until Pentecost when he says everything's changed now. It's a new world. Jesus is a Jew. Historically, if you're one of those rare people that goes to church the Sunday after Christmas, or two Sundays after Christmas, who goes to church then? We just did a lot of church, right? What's one of the lessons during those Sundays? The circumcision of Jesus. Children, cover your ears. I remember that as a, as a child and having to ask that, what, what's, what is that? Dad will explain to you. Jesus was a Jew. Not long after he's born, Mary and Joseph take him, and he is circumcised. Jesus lives under all 630 of the rules of the Old Testament. We read the Gospels and say, man, that guy was breaking traditions. Well, he was. He was breaking the 1,400 traditions that the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all the others had added to the law. He wasn't breaking the 600 rules that were still there in the Old Testament. He adheres to them. Jesus is a Jew. And he says, I, I am the king of Jews, and, and I don't pass that off. And I am the fulfillment of all that's promised in the Old Testament. So he's speaking to a Jewish audience. I tell you, Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed to the Jews. But now look at verse 9. And moreover, that Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles, is the first quote. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, what all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will rise to rule over the nations, and him, the Gentiles, will hope. What's he doing here? He's building on a foundational educational experience. And those of you who are teachers or understand education, you get it. Those of you who aren't, it's what you were exposed to. It's how you learn. St. Paul is saying, Jesus came as a Jew and taught Jews. Jews, in turn, took the truth that he is the Messiah, shared it with Gentiles. Together, they celebrated it. Gentiles celebrated it on their own, and then Gentiles went to other Gentiles and shared the same truth with them. It's the same thing that you went through in school. Everybody else in my family on both sides, my wife's side and my side, they're all teachers. I'm the black sheep. I'm a pastor. They all understand this. This is Education 101. If you want to tell somebody something, you begin to teach them. But uh, like with this sermon, that's all that's going on here. I'm telling you something. How much this are you going to retain? About 9%. <laughs> All right, so you want to teach something, you can tell it to them, but then you demonstrate it. You have a visual aid, or, or you demonstrate what this behavior looks like. You've begun to teach a little bit more. If you want to teach it further, what do you do? You, you take the child's hand as you're teaching them and say, come participate with me. Let's do this together, or a couple of you do this together. And then if you really, really want to learn something, how do you learn best? Well, that's why everybody should be a Sunday school teacher. Don't learn the Bible, sign up, be a Sunday school teacher. You go teach it yourself. I saw, I heard it, 
I participated in it. I walked together with somebody. Now I really want to learn this. I'm going to turn around and teach it. Application of that? Where Jesus says, Jews told Gentiles, together they rejoiced. Gentiles rejoiced alone. Gentiles in turn told and demonstrated this to other people and taught it to other people. Um, I, I think it's as simple as this. We lapse into a lot of passivity during the Advent season. I, I sat on the couch the other night and watched some sorry old Christmas movie that I've seen I don't know how many different times. And you might have the same traditions around this time of year. Or, or you participate by just sitting in a, at a, another gathering and you just sit around and, and you kind of talk a little bit maybe. And we assimilate. We're, we're passive in, in everything that goes on. Or we go to a parade or some Christmas gathering. <clears throat> and I think, ooh, end of sermon. <laughs> Is that the janitor saying time's up? <laughs> okay, I'm about done. I'm done, really. <laughs> okay, I'm about done. So my, my, my point being, instead of being passive at this time of year, might we take a hint from Romans 15, the last few verses, where we're not just listening anymore. And, and we're not just participating with one another. If you really want to learn something, if you really want to be an impactful force in the season of Advent, and teach others, teach others, that the portrayal of Jesus is not something that is to be done by us, but to simply to say to people, let Jesus portray himself. And if you want to know what that means, here you go, at the end of Romans 15. He's a source of encouragement, and he's a source of acceptance, and he's an a source of hope, not just a seasonal hope, but an eternal hope. God help you to that end.